Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Right. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open them to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, where we will look at verses 6 and 7 this morning. Uh, we are in week 3 of our series, Sojourners, living in a world that is not our own. Uh, we started part 1 of this uh, section last week, and we're going to continue with that today. Because if you remember, verses 3 through 12 are actually one long sentence in uh, Greek, but my messages are about 35 minutes, so I do a couple verses, so you don't want me preaching 3 through 12 at one time, unless you want to have a really long Sunday afternoon, and I think most of you would give them a walk out. But uh, last week, we looked at this idea of a living hope. I don't know about you, but as we watched the news unfold this week, I think our world, our globe, could use this living hope. And this week, we're going to pick back up, and Peter's going to show us how we can have joy in our suffering. And it's a joy that will prove that our faith is genuine. Uh, the name Jane Marasuski may not sound familiar to you, but you might recognize her stage name, Nightbird. This name became famous when she appeared on America's Got Talent, performing her original song, It's Okay. If you have not seen this clip, by the way, go back and watch it. It's very moving and uh, powerful. When she finished her performance, uh, Simon Cowell, the critical judge that we all know, with tears in his eyes, he hit the golden buzzer and all the gold confetti came out, which meant she was fast-forwarded to the, the live episodes that would take place later in the season. And her original song was the top of iTunes music charts very quickly after. The irony, though, is Nightbird's story and life seemed anything but okay. In 2017, Nightbird received her first diagnosis we all dread, cancer. She learned that she likely had six months to live, and as she began her, uh, her battle with stage three breast cancer. Now in 2018, she was declared cancer-free, but the celebration would be short-lived. A few months later, she began her second battle with cancer. This time, she was given single-digit um, single chances of survival. And if fate didn't already seem against her, her battle became all the more lonely when her husband of five years left her. She went on alone, winning the second battle of cancer in July 2020. Now, when Nightbird auditioned for America's Got Talent, she captivated those watching. And she revealed that her cancer was back. But now it was in her liver, it was in her spine, and it was in her lungs. In other words, cancer was overtaking her entire body. And host Terry Crews simply said to Nightbird, he said, you are the voice we all need to hear this year. Why was America so captivated by this singer-songwriter? There's different singer-songwriters who get up every single night and perform. So why, why this one in particular? Because hope and joy are not the natural responses when life is falling apart. But Nightbird's hope didn't originate in herself. Hope didn't originate in something of this world, but Nightbird's hope originated in God. I've got some quotes from her and some things she wrote on her blog. She said in an interview, I believe that God can heal in one instant. I also believe that no good thing does he withhold. So there was something God was growing in the field that is me. And if God had pulled up all of this hardship too soon, it would have also pulled up all these miracles he did in my spirit. On her blog, she wrote, 
Maybe we missed it. What God showed us when he first introduced himself, that he will crawl into the dirt to be near us, and he will fill our lungs with air when we don't know how to breathe. She even chose her stage name, Nightbird, to communicate the hope that she has. She said, because even when I'm in the middle of a dark time, there are no signs that it will, and there are no signs that it will end. I want to be the bird that sings in anticipation of the good things that I trust are coming. Nightbird did not sugarcoat her suffering. In one of her most popular blog posts, it was titled, God is on the bathroom floor. She poetically details how she wrestled with God through this trial. She said, I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander. Answering prayers, they didn't pray. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path each night. Every morning, he sent them mercy bread from heaven. I look hard for the answers to the prayers that I didn't pray. And then one more. She says, when it comes to pain, God isn't often in the business of taking it away. Instead, he adds to it. He is more of a giver than a taker. He doesn't take away my darkness. He adds light. He doesn't spare me a thirst. He brings water. He doesn't cure my loneliness. He comes near. So why do we believe that when we are in pain, it must mean that God is far? So why in her pain did she have hope? Because that's where God is nearest. No matter how many times he's sent away, no matter how many times we send him away, because of the pain and the trials and the suffering that we are dealing with, that is where God is most often drawing near to us. So on some level, we can all identify with Nightbird. There's something that's very common to every single human, every single person in this room, and every single person on this planet, that suffering will come. It's inevitable. It's part of living in an imperfect world, and particularly for all who profess Christ in this fallen world, that we will suffer. And so the main point of our message this morning is that Peter's going to tell us, he's going to point back to the living hope that we looked at last week, and he's going to say, you can rejoice in your suffering and your trials in this life, because it's in these times that the genuineness of your faith is revealed. And if you have a faith at all. And so the first truth that we're going to see this morning is that our hope in Christ points beyond our trials and gives them the right perspective. I'm going to read verse 6 for us. It says, in this, go back one slide. <laughs> it says, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, I don't know about you, but joy is not my first response when I'm experiencing a trial. And it can be like sometimes the smallest little insignificant thing. But that is not the first thing that comes out of me. But Peter will show us that's because if you're like me, what you're doing is you're focusing literally on what's in front of you. It's like you're looking down at your feet and just that next step. And all you see is the trial, the challenge, and it magnifies it. That's kind of what we do. It's like almost like we have this magnifying glass, and we put it on that moment that's happening, and it becomes this big to us. And we actually have to look back at last week and be reminded that, that because this is one long sentence, what Peter's doing, he's continuing his thought that he started with, and he's assuring us that 
There is to come a great future inheritance for those that are in Christ, and that is what we, we are waiting on is this heavenly reward. And so you can't magnify the problems here. They're real. He's not diminishing them. He's not saying they don't exist, but we need to put the magnifying glass into the, to the future, that future inheritance that we've been looking at. But we do a really good job as, as Christians. We, we, we do a good job focusing, I think, on what Christ has done for us, what kind of drew us into Christianity, what made it real for us. But sometimes I think we're, we're so focused on that, rightfully so, but that we lack the future perspective of what is to come. And so as we deal with something, we kind of find ourselves going, why, God? Yes, I'm thankful for my salvation, but why am I dealing with this? Why, God, I thought you loved me. I thought I was your son. I thought I was your daughter. Because we're focused on what's right here instead of what is to come. And so Peter's helping give us a right perspective. He's saying, look, whatever you're dealing with, your faith, which will prove to be genuine or not, is going to help you endure. I think about working out. If you guys know me, I don't work out very often. That's probably obvious, right? I don't have, I don't have shirts that are like busting at the seams. I see some guys, I'm like, I could, like my shirts would not fit in those arms. They must have given special order. But my, my wife on the hand, she's like, strategic, I mean, she's strict three times a week. She gives, goes to the gym. So she did take me to the gym with her a while back. And, and I can remember like, I do have this personality though. If you were to take me to work out, like she can probably, you know, run laps around me. So I'm like, you know, you're doing the thing, you get down, do the push-up. Like, oh, no, i got to do this thing and swing here and do this. And you find yourself, you're like, hey, I'm about to pass out, you know, and like, I, need, I need water, I'm, I'm about to give up. And then, and then the instructor comes up and says, okay, we're almost done, all right, 10. Now they start that countdown now, figure like me. So then you, then you start doing the jumping action. Oh, I'm going to go faster. I'm going to show everyone like I worked out this whole time because I know what's coming. What's coming is a break. What's coming is respite. What's coming is water and that I've survived this, that the end is near. And that's what Peter's kind of showing us. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. It says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They come and they go. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And so Peter is saying that when we focus our hearts on what is to come, instead of the momentary affliction, that we are able to rejoice because we know that this is temporary, that this is transient, that's going to come and it's going to go, but that, that we're looking forward to our eternity where we can rejoice. Now, many of us have gone through or, or maybe you're actively going through a painful struggle, maybe emotional health issues. I feel like that kind of defines our generation. Maybe loss of a close family member over the last year. Parenting challenges. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> I love how my oldest son's the one who amens me on that one. We'll talk about that afterwards, son. Um, <laughs> some of us have been wounded by the ones that we thought we were supposed to be able to trust. Some of us have ongoing sin struggles and challenges. The list could go on and on and on. And so when we're in the middle of the trial, when we're in the middle of the challenge, we don't take the time often to think through what it is that we're actually experiencing. And so here's what Peter is saying. It's like Peter's pulling us in this morning, saying, listen up. Do you understand what God is about to do? Do you understand what God is about to reveal? Don't just focus on this momentary thing that you're experiencing. There is something yet to come. And so our source of joy, it's not that we fake it and then we're just like, well, I'll just put on that fake smile. We've all been to those parties, right? It's really uncomfortable. And you go home and you're like, that was horrible. That's not what he's saying to do but that we can have this sense of joy for what he has done, but also what he is going to do in the future. 
that this current situation is temporary. And so that you can say, even in the, your worst day, that I still have this level of joy. And to those around us, those who aren't in Christ, to say, how can you still have joy? And you can say, because this is temporary. But there's yet to come something else. And so church, whatever circumstances you are going through right now, and some of you might be in a very painful season, it's temporary. And this is the grace of God. And this is why we can rejoice no matter the circumstances that we are experiencing right now. Unfortunately, many of us, myself included, we're, we're tempted to find our joy in other things, which may explain some of the emotional roller coaster that our generation is on, even within uh, the greater church, when you base your lives on something that's not of Christ. When our joy is rooted in financial security, it will rise and it will fall on the amount of money that you have at the moment. When our joy is rooted in a particular relationship, it will rise and fall on how that person responds to you. When our joy is rooted in our social status, it will rise and fall on the basis of how we're accepted or how we're rejected. When our joy is rooted in our present circumstances, it will rise and fall on the basis of whether or not we're having a good day or a bad day. You know, we kind of walk in the room, you're like, oh, oh wait a minute. <laughs> you know, we have that person in our life that you feel like you're walking on eggshells because you're like, was it a good day or a bad day? Let's wait until we have a few minutes to kind of interact here. But what Peter is doing is reminding us if you're in Christ, it shouldn't be this way. Because our joy cannot, I think you would say, it must not be rooted in this world. Our joy must be rooted in God himself and the salvation that he has granted us in Christ Jesus. Why? Because all the current circumstances we are in are temporary. Every single one of them. Which brings us to our second truth. Next slide, please. Second truth. Our suffering in this life proves the genuineness of our faith. I'm going to read, read verse 6 and get into the first part of verse 7. And this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. So Peter comes in and explains that Christian suffering is the purifying fire through which our faith is tested, tried, and proven to be genuine. Now we already know from last week that if you are truly in Christ, if you're truly a Christian, that, that God is going to complete our salvation, that he's guarding you for your salvation. But you might be wondering then, as you read this, you might go, then what's the purpose of suffering at all? Like, if he's given us salvation, like, why is he causing, why is he allowing us to go through suffering? Because suffering functions as the crucible for faith. In other words, our suffering is not meaningless, but is actually meaningful. Because the suffering, as Peter's showing us, it tests the genuineness of your faith. What it does, it reveals if your faith is actually real and authentic or if it's, if it's fake. Now, there's a scary implication in this verse, and I want to be careful how I, how I say this, and I'll hopefully I can articulate this for us clearly. But the scary implication in this verse is that it's possible to have some type of belief or faith that actually isn't genuine saving faith in God. Well, how do we know? How, how do we know the difference, Matt? Thanks, that wasn't really encouraging. Well, genuine faith leads to belief in Jesus Christ, his perfect sinless life, his death on the cross that paid for the sins of the world and his resurrection from the death three days later. And so if you believe in that, if you trust in that in your heart, in your life, then you will be saved. 
And this is a picture of a saving faith that you cannot lose. So if that is you this morning, rest at ease. You cannot lose that faith. As we looked at last week, he is guarding you until the end, until that future inheritance. But there's also what I call imitation faith. It appears like faith at a first glance. It's kind of like imitation leather. I love real leather. You know, I've got, I've got Danner genuine leather boots on this morning. Sorry for the vegans in the room. It's not vegan leather. I've got a, a genuine leather belt. And I love the smell of leather, right? So sometimes you see something, you're like, oh, that looks really cool. Then you touch it or you smell it, you're like, oh, this is imitation. This, is, this, isn't the real, this isn't the real deal. And so there's a faith that can be similar. There's no substance to it when it's tested. Jesus told a parable of the, of the sowers. We're not going to go into those parables this morning. You're probably familiar with it which represents the difference between a genuine and an imitation faith, where you see that the, sow, the, the, the seed was sown out there, the gospel, and the people respond to it quickly. But then some of them were choked out, and some of them, the, the sun dried it out, and some of them, it, it went away. But that is what this represents. You know, I, I think about a, the summer camp high. I grew up in church and youth group, and, you know, it's like, man, all these kids come back, and they're on fire for Jesus. And then some of them, they're like, it's genuine, it lasts. And you look years later, you go, man, that was real. And then you look back at some, you're like, man, that lasted until the fall when school started. And then it was gone. What happened? Well, it was not genuine. Their faith was tested and it did not last. And so Jesus is not saying, if you have a real genuine faith that leads to the salvation, that you can lose it because you cannot. But what he is saying is that on some level, it's possible to have a counterfeit faith that does not lead to a genuine saving faith. How do we know the difference? Trials. That's what Peter is showing us. The trials of life will show you the difference between a genuine and an ingenuine faith. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. I, I, I'm not going to read those verses either, but Jesus said, your faith is built on one of two foundations. The first foundation is rock. And a rock will stand the test of time. The other is Sand. Sand might look nice, it might look pretty, and about sand castles will make down a cannon beach, but the waves will come and it will crash on it and it will crumble. And so the storms of life will reveal which one your faith is built upon. It will reveal where your foundation is. How you respond to the storms and trials of your life will reveal if you are truly saved. I've seen this too many times in Portland. There's a lot of transplants here, and so you know someone will move to the city and they'll but look at my, my notes and quotations, Mark. They'll look like a Christian. Or maybe where they lived before, they look like this strong person and this leader until a storm or trial comes into their life. And it may look a variety of ways until someone's spouse cheats on them. I imagine that's a really painful process, and thankfully I haven't experienced it, but where their faith stands strong in the midst of that, when that cancer diagnosis comes, Will their faith stand strong in the midst of that? They experience the loss of a child or a family member. Peter's saying when we suffer, what comes out of us is what's truly inside of us. It reveals if it's genuine or not. You know, I think as I've, I've watched this and I've, as I've experienced this in, in my decade plus of ministry, you, know, you see these individuals and everything seems completely fine in their life. Until the storm comes. And it's when the storm comes and the storm of life hits them, the foundation of their faith is revealed. They say, why me, God? Why am I experiencing this? And so if it's hope, 
that they have, then the genuine faith is there. If it's faithlessness, if it's walking away, I know this is a buzzword and I'm not completely against it because I think there's a healthy form of deconstructing, but when I think a lot of times we use that word deconstructing, it means like completely deconstructing to leave and to walk away. It's revealed it wasn't truly genuine after all. I like how Tim Keller talks about suffering in the Christian life. He says, Christianity teaches that contrary to Buddhism, suffering is real. Contrary to karma, suffering is often unfair. And contrary to secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God, into more stability and spiritual power than you can ever imagine. And so sojourn, does the storm of life drive you to God or does it drive you far from God? That's how you know if you have genuine faith. Peter tells us that the genius of our faith, he says, is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. It's actually kind of made me wonder this week about my uh, charismatic uncle who was always talking about gold teeth and gold dust. He would come back from a revival service or a church service and say, you see my gold teeth? And I was always like, no. <laughs> I mean, they're a little bit yellow. You might want to brush them, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't see the gold. Or did, Man, would you see the gold dust that's on my hands? But it tells us here, it says, if faith is more precious and valuable than gold, then I'm like, uncle, I thought about calling him this week, say, uncle, you can keep your gold teeth. You can keep your gold dust. I want faith. I want to come back from being in the presence of the Lord and go, I have faith to stand the test of time. I have faith to go through the suffering and trials of this life. I have faith. Because the trials burn away the impurities in the believer's faith. And what is left when the trials of life have ended is a purified, genuine faith like the pure gold that emerges from a refiner's fire. We think about something, gold is precious, right? I imagine most of our wedding bands in here are probably gold. Maybe platinum if you're like bling bling, but gold. <laughs> Maybe they have diamonds. You think about these things are precious in our life, but how do you know that Jesus is actually the most valuable thing in your life? By how tightly you hold on to the things of this life. Going back to the rootedness. Going back to the joy. If your joy is found in something else, if it's found in your job and your career, if it's found in your family, if it's found in, in how much you have money-wise and possessions. Or do you hold those things kind of loosely? Say, God, these are yours. Use them how you want. Use them how you see fit, but I want to hold on to you. Philippians 3, verses 7 through 9. It says, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Brings me to our third truth in this morning. Our testing in this life produces a praiseworthy faith. It continues in verse 7. It says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It says a faith has been tested and purified by the fire and the trials of life is more precious because it is authentic. 
And he says, it will be found to result in praise and, and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think about the Winter Olympics, still pretty fresh on all of our minds. Uh, you, you think about the sacrifice, some would say the suffering that they go through leading up to compete, right? For at least four years, something longer, the daily practices multiple times a day. They have to sacrifice family or family time if they have a family. They have to eat a certain way. And there's a lot of things that you and I get to do just on our daily life that they don't get to do. But they endure as they're training for the competition. They endure as they're training, trying to win the gold. But when it's all over, they're going to be honored and praised and glorified by their families and by their coaches and by their teammates and even by their countries. That is the picture of praise that we get here. That you're going through this, that you're enduring in this to endure to the end of time. And so Peter tells us that on that day, he, calls it the, he says that the revelation of Jesus Christ, you'll receive praise, glory, and honor. Now, if you're like me and you read that and you hear that, you think, at least you hopefully think, unless you're just really arrogant, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. You know, like we always talk about church, like God receives all praise, honor, and glory, and here you are telling me, Peter, that I'm going to receive all, or I'll receive some praise, glory, and honor. But what he's doing is he's pointing us forward to the, at the uh, book of Revelation. When Jesus returns, and on that day, the revelation of Jesus Christ will take place when all of humanity, those who are in Christ and those who aren't, will bow their knees before the Lord of Lords and will declare that Jesus is Lord. That that day is coming for your neighbor, for your coworker, for your friends, for your family, regardless if they do it this side or not, that when he comes back, they all will declare that. Now, it goes on to tell us that those without a genuine faith, that will not be a good day. Sadly, unfortunately. But I will add quickly, that it's not too late for them. That's why they're still here, and that's why you're still here to declare that to them. But for those who, with faith, it's like we'll receive the applause from God. That's kind of mind-blowing, right? Like, I think about entering, I don't know what it'll look like, but as we imagine our minds, they know, like, I remember when I played uh, basketball as a kid, and they would always call my name. I always loved that part. And, like, the, everyone's clapping in the stadium. We, like, ran through the tunnel, you know, and you're getting the, the high fives. Now, imagine it's going to be like that, you know. Like, there's this heavenly host, and then all of our family and friends who've gone before us, and they're like, yes. And then God's there just like, number one fan, like, you made it. Well done. Remember all those trials you went through? Remember that suffering? I was there with you. I was preparing you for this day. You couldn't see it but now you do. And it's like that light bulb will go off. You ever been sitting in class and you're like, oh, I get it. I understand how to do geometry now. Right? It's going to be like, man, th this is what that you've been preparing for all throughout your life. God knows, God's ordained every single day that we live. So that suffering that you're going through that he knows and is preparing you for that moment where he himself will applaud us. And Peter says, you will receive glory. Now I'm going to be honest. I have no clue what that means. I have no clue what that glory is going to look like. I know what it looks like for here, but I have no clue what that means. But it tells us that, that you will receive it. And Peter says you'll receive honor. And the Greek, this is a, is, is a monetary term that God's going to give you physical treasure. He talks about these crowns of, of gold that we will be able to lay at the feet of Jesus. And so once again, it's that, that future inheritance that we talk about. That's not our earthly retirement. We, I, I, like, I don't know, I keep coming back to this heavenly retirement. And that'll be our heavenly retirement of how we lived our life here, how we showed joy in the midst of suffering, how our faith was tested and it proved to be genuine. And so I have one application point for us this morning. Peter showed us that the trials and suffering in this life will reveal the genuineness of our faith. 
So when you experience suffering, what comes out? Does it reveal that you have faith? During our response time this morning, I would just encourage you to spend just a few minutes, spend a few seconds asking God. Say, God, when, when I experience the trials and suffering of this life, does it show that I have a genuine and authentic faith? But for some reason, the, if you look at the pattern of your life and that's not what usually comes out, then you may want to ask yourself, is the faith that I have authentic at all? Suffering is necessary because we, as we faithfully endure various trials, we will prove to ourselves and to others that our faith in Christ is real. I think about the, the people in my life in this city, a lot of them who do not know Jesus. They watch us. Even as, as we think about this crisis in Ukraine, the world around us is watching us. Because everyone, everyone cares, everyone's supposed to care. But how are the Christians in my life responding differently? Is it the same? Or is it different? When, when someone in your family or you deal with cancer or the loss of a family member, do you grieve in the same way? Or do you grieve as one who has joy in the midst of suffering? The singer-songwriter Nightbird, her suffering ended just over a week ago when she passed away. In this life, we all will suffer. And so I think we can identify with Nightbird in her pain and her hope. You probably find yourself arguing with God the way that she was honest about at times that she did. But it's frequently in those lowest moments that God has drawn closest to us. And he gives us the hope of his presence because he is not repulsed by our anger. He's not repulsed by our tears. But rather he draws near and he causes us to realize that hope is often clearest when we have nothing left to cling to. Hope is often clearest when we get to the end of ourselves and there's nothing else that we can look at or turn to that that is where God is near, and that that is where it becomes the clearest to us. Is there a more humble place for God to draw near to us? There is. It's on the cross. God the Son, he took on flesh, and he entered into sin, ravaged, cancer-stricken, world-driven world to deliver us from it. And Jesus went willing to the cross, and he experienced the suffering our sin deserves. Talk about suffering, our suffering in this, in this moment, like, Jesus took on all the weight of humanity, a suffering that we will never be able to take on or fully understand and realize. And he did that in order to give us all the merit in this of his perfect life. God met us there, just like Nightbird on the bathroom floor. God met us in our suffering. And God provided a way of salvation and a hope and a joy that we can have in this life. This is the hope that we have, church. This is the hope that we communicate to the world around us. It's the hope of the gospel that allows us not to just endure the trials and sufferings in front of us, but to rejoice in the midst of them as we show that our faith is genuine to those around us who are watching. So I'm going to pray for us this morning, and then Ben's going to come back up and, and lead us in a song of praise. And so once again, take that time as we respond to ask yourself, God, how do I respond when I'm suffering? How do I respond when I'm going through trials? And ask that God would give you the joy and strength that only can come in him and him alone. Pray with me, church. God, we thank you for another week that we can gather as your bride. And God, that you showed us this morning through your word that we can still have joy and rejoice in the midst of suffering. Not because it's fun, not because it's not real, not because it's not painful, but because it's temporary. God, it's temporary for those that are in you. God, that it will go away, that it will be transient. 
And that one day we will be in your presence while all the pain and trial and suffering and tears of this life will, will be gone forever. And God, where you will give us a, a reward that we can give to you. And God, that you will welcome us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. God, we thank you for that. God, we ask that you would help us endure in this life. God, it's not easy, but you would help us show the world around us that our faith is genuine. A faith that came in you that resulted in our salvation. God, we love you. We give this time over to you as we finish by praising you through song. In your name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.